Welcome to the most valuable fucking show you're going to listen to all week. I deserve a seat at this table. And not only do I deserve a seat at this table, look at all that I'm bringing with me to add value. The women in your life do not owe you anything. Because I think that's what's missing is other women literally holding their hand out and grabbing those other women by the hand and saying, come with me, I'm taking you on this journey. This is Unfuck My Business. Hello and welcome back to the Unfuck My Business show. I am Robin Sales and today it is my pleasure to lead the first and hopefully not the last all-female Unfuck My Business discussion. Listen, y'all, running a business is hard. Chris Delaney says it all the time and we all know as people, entrepreneurs, business owners, small business owners, you know, trying to run a business within a larger organization, running a business is fucking hard. And it can have added challenges and be even harder when you are in a box considered other. So today, we're going to have the first of many conversations about what it's like to run a business when you are other. I have gathered all of the women from UFMB to discuss what it's actually like to run a business as a woman. We are going to bust some myths and some assumptions, and we are going to unearth some of the hidden truths that don't get talked about enough because we here at Unfuck My Business feel like we have to have these conversations more and with more people because when we can get this stuff out in the open and we can have these conversations, we all benefit and we all become better at business. So let me introduce the ladies who are going to be joining me for this conversation today, starting with Danielle. Laura, say hi. Hello, hello. And we've got Jennifer Bolivar. Say hello. What's up, everybody? What's up? And last but certainly not least, Miss Kathleen Seide. Hello, good to be here. Woohoo. So, ladies, let's start with the ridiculous. There's a lot of assumptions about what it's like to be a woman in business. It's something that's frequently the butt of the joke in movies and television shows, right? So let's start with some of the things that we think are jokes about being a woman in business, but do actually fucking happen to us in the workplace and in the business environment. I would love for you guys to share with me some ridiculous stories about some of the most ridiculous things that have happened to you or have been said to you in the workplace. Um, so I'm going to start with Jennifer. Ugh. I'm going through my Rolodex of stories because that's how many there are and trying to pick out one. The magic one that I'll choose is one that I think is even crazy. I thought I had heard it all or seen it all, but I one time had a, a male coworker pull me out into the hallway and he was actually a really, really good friend of mine. And he proceeded to let me know that a group of males decided to write a song about me. And when I saw the song, it was extremely inappropriate about what they wanted to do to me um, and my body in very detailed ways. And they were passing it around, asking other guys to weigh in on verses and such. And at first, normally I'm a good, like, I can take it because I've been conditioned to just take it, you know. But this one, I think, made me feel violated in a weird kind of way. It was, it's the craziest thing. Holy shit. Yeah, that's gross. I'm just going to say it. Like, that's gross. So did anything happen as a result of that? 
Yeah, actually. And it's funny because I'm still really good friends with the guy today. And also at the time, my boss, she saw that my mood changed at work. And she's like, what just happened? And I told her because she was a friend, but also a boss. And I didn't expect her to do anything, but she immediately fired the guy who started it immediately. Like it happened within hours. I w- and, and then I felt bad. So here I am. I'm like mortified, but then I feel guilty. Oh no, I just got this poor guy fired. <laughs> right. Yeah. You just got this poor guy fired. This poor right. guy who objectified you in the workplace and wrote yes. disgusting things and got other people to participate because that's how we're conditioned to yes. think and respond and behave in those situations. Well, thank goodness you survived through it, but God, that's gross. And I'm sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> um, Danielle, you. let me go over to you. So there's a lot of things, right, that I could talk about, but something that comes up that was a recurring theme for me, both in corporate and in my own business, being CEOs in both and giving presentations and leading events, leading them with any male, any other males there, right? People have always alluded to and even said, oh, she makes a great assistant. Oh, she's his assistant. And it's funny because it's like, I'm actually the CEO. I've actually run this whole thing and put this whole thing together. But it's interesting because I think that as women, we tend to be more organizational and more detailed, right? And pretty succinct, kind of stick to the script most of the times when males sometimes have a tendency to just, you know, ad lib or say whatever they need to say. So because of that, I think we often get targeted as maybe we are the assistant or maybe we are the helper or like we're not the one in charge, right? So that's something that comes to my mind as something that's happened several times. You know, and I think because of the conditioning we get from the movies and television show plot lines that we're fed as we grow up, from the articles we read in magazines that are literally trying to convince us on a daily basis to objectify ourselves, you know, <laughs> the commercials, we sort of get fed this storyline. And so I think sometimes we subconsciously fall into those roles. You know, have you ever watched around a, a boardroom and somebody needs to take the notes and It's like always a woman who's like, I'll take the notes and like doesn't even realize what she's doing by volunteering to take the notes. Okay, well, now you've just become the secretary in everybody else's eyes, you know? And so that's definitely some behavior that I had to unlearn is like, what's adding to that misconception and that perception? And and how do I change that behavior so that I'm not inadvertently contributing to it? Because unfortunately, we do inadvertently contribute to it. I agree, Robin. I think that goes along as well with this level of responsibility that we carry and feeling like we have to be responsible for others or take care of others or be the one to lead because nobody else may do it or nobody else might pick up on things. Whereas this is a very generalized statement here, whereas most men are just very one track minded and it's just whatever they're doing in that moment, that's what they're thinking about. Whereas we're constantly thinking of the entire whole, what, what all needs to be done and how can we fill in the gaps and pick up those pieces? So inevitably, we do take on that level of responsibility and we do be kind of become the default most of the time. Mm-hmm. Kathleen, how about you? In real estate, I'm in a very female-dominated uh, field. So you know, there's been here and there a few things, but I have to go back to you know, my early 20s when I was working in, in a software company. There was a man who was known for patting his penis. So like... He would walk into the room, he'd start talking to you, just business, whatever. Hey, what about those expense reports? And he'd just like tap it like excessively. And I don't know, I don't think it was conscious. Uh, It wasn't like he was intentionally playing with himself. 
it was literally just this sort of subconscious, like something's going on down there and he just had to do something about it. And every woman in the company knew about it and we would talk about it, but nobody ever brought it up as a problem to anybody. And I don't know if it was really, it was just this uncomfortable tick that this guy had. So I, I thought I had heard everything. I have a background in HR and you hear the weirdest stuff when you work in the HR department, but wow, that's a new one for me. <laughs> yeah. I know if anybody from that company listens to this, they're going to know exactly who I'm talking about. Wow. That's so strange. Yeah. So, you know, mine kind of flows against the myth, right? That all of this inappropriate or combative behavior comes from men in the workplace. Have I gotten that? Do I still get it? Yes. In fact, I just recently posted about how, you know, the cost of being a woman in business on the internet is I get unsolicited emails, you know, and I don't know about you ladies, but anytime an email starts with, I saw your profile on LinkedIn, I immediately like cringe because I don't know what's coming after that. It should be a business email, but guess what? Nine times out of 10, it was, and I thought you looked really interesting and maybe we could get to know each other better. It's not a fucking dating service. It's LinkedIn, you creepy motherfucker, you know? <laughs> like, I stop sending those emails. So do I get that? Yes. But I think one of the craziest ones that I didn't really understand what was happening at the time, and it was one of those instances where looking back at it in hindsight, I realized what was happening is I was working in a marketing position and my boss was a woman and clearly she had control issues and she would use very infantilizing and demeaning language and nicknames to like keep me in my place. And I just kept coming home like uncomfortable and not understanding why I was so comfortable or why I was having such a hard time with this woman. And it was many years later where I realized, oh, like she constantly referred to me as kiddo. You know, like, hey, kiddo, I need you to go get this done. And I'm like, that's that's what, you know, coaches do to the new guy on the team to make sure they understand they're the new guy. You know, she was using just this gross, like, motherly, you know, language in my direction. And, and still, like, even now, you know, you guys could see my face getting all screwed up. <laughs> like, it's just it still kind of creeps me out. You know, and I only made it there for about three months before I realized I don't understand what she's doing, but I don't like it. And I got to get the hell out of here. But just this constant, you know, kiddo, I need you to do this. And it, it was like, you're not my mom. Like, stop talking to me like that. It was weird. It was super weird. Yeah. And the most interesting part of that is that, you know, as we're telling these stories, what I love is that you brought up that yeah. that came from a woman, Right. And we should be conscious of how we're celebrating each other and how we're lifting each other up. Just knowing that, you know, hearing your story. Yeah, is and so it's probably a good about. time for us to say, like, our goal today is not to bash men. <laughs> and I think particularly the four of us are fortunate to be surrounded by some amazing men, right? But there is just things that we have to deal with being in public roles, being in business. There are things that we have to do and think about that most men just don't. Some men do, but most men just don't have to consider some of the things that we have to consider on a daily basis. Like Danielle was talking about before, we want to take care of everybody. We want to make sure everything's covered, you know, 
there's an emotional labor aspect to, you know, all the things that we do. And then if you happen to be a mom on top of that, well, fuck, you're carrying a whole ton of another emotional labor at home, right? It's basically another job. And I don't necessarily want to go down that rabbit hole, but I did just want to disclose, like, we just want to have this conversation so that other women listening go, oh my God, it's not just me. (laughs) Like, I thought this weird thing only happened to me because it didn't exactly fit the myths and the assumptions about what it's like to be a woman in business. It's not just about, hey, babe, you want to go on a date or, you know the accidental butt grab as you walk down the hallway, there are deeper, more disturbing things that happen that we have to find a way through in order to stay in business and find a way to be successful in business. So let's talk about some of those things. We've talked about the idea of, all of us separately have talked about the idea of finding our self-worth and our own sense of agency and efficacy in our lives and in our business. So can each of you share, and I'll go back to starting with Jennifer, share with us a little bit about how you found your way through that. Like, how did you find a way to sort of take control in the business world of your own agency and your own efficacy? That's such a great question. Uh, And I still think that I am constantly evolving my own identity, even as I get to a certain milestone or a certain plateau, there's another way that I can think or approach that. So I I absolutely love the question. I would say what did it for me in terms of even thinking about my self-worth or me as a woman was representation, representation, representation. If you can't see it, you cannot dream of it. I was lucky enough to join an organization that was purpose-driven and 66% of the leadership was female. And I had come from an industry that was fully male dominated. It was the auto industry, the auto space. I used my looks to even sell. I know I did. You know, that was one of those underwritten rules of being a female in sales. And yes, you're the one that's going to go out to the dealerships because you look a certain way. You're an attractive person, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I knew that. But coming into to a company where there was these great women and they were idolized for their brains and they had this way of being and they encouraged other women. I was like, oh my God, this person is a CLO. I can actually be a CLO. I never thought that I could have that path. So seeing these women and also being able to say, I can do that, that helped me validate myself in a completely different way. And it led me down paths to explore that I never dreamed that I would be able to do. That's fantastic. Preach representation. I I can't imagine it if I don't see it, right? And that representation on on every level is so key. And that kind of ties into the idea of mentorship, which I want to make sure we circle back around to. Danielle, what about you? You know, for me, it was really a matter of stripping down the preconceived notions of what the world says you should be, or like we see in movies, like the woman being the assistant, you know, like I talked about earlier and seeing it for the truth of what it really is and the facts and realizing I deserve a seat at this table. And not only do I deserve a seat at this table, look at all that I'm bringing with me to add value to the table and really taking that level of position of, I know, and being grounded in what I did bring to the table regardless of who was going to see it or not. And that level of confidence and, and power around what you, who you are, what you represent and what you're bringing to the table truly creates a level of magnetism where even if they don't necessarily respect you right off the bat, they will. 
because of that level of confidence that you, that you know, you deserve to be there. I love it. You have to own it inside. Right. And, and bring that to the table so that you don't end up in the situation where somebody goes, oh, hey, what about this idea? And you're thinking, I just said that. I just said that like five minutes ago, but now everybody listens when this guy says it, right? Mm -hmm. I think we've all had that moment. Kathleen, share with us your path to agency and efficacy in this crazy business world. It's been an interesting uh, path. In my family, my mother's always been a strong figure, often out earning my father. So her being in that space and being the breadwinner a lot sort of framed my view of possibility in a way that I think is really special. So shout out to mom, right? Now, coming into my own and owning my own company, that process was really interesting. I, I tend to deal with that insecurity by over-preparing. So getting really, really deep into what are all the nooks and crannies and details and how do I know everything and handle everything? And, you know, the first few years, it was just I wouldn't say overwhelming, but that was my, a huge focus of my time. And eventually I started to realize that there's a skill there that I have to understanding information and, and being able to translate it into something that people can understand. And even if I'm new in a space, I tend to do this huge amount of research and bring stuff to the table that adds a unique perspective that's valuable. And owning the fact that my voice is valuable and adding that to the conversation elevates it was something really, really nice to step into over the last few years. I'm curious, Kathleen, do you think that need to over-prepare and over-deliver comes from that place I think we've all experienced where we feel more compelled than, say, our male counterparts to to prove that we know our stuff. Like we never quite feel like the expert. There's even that crazy statistic that a woman can look at a resume with 12 qualifications, have 11 of them and feel like, oh, I don't have enough to apply for this job. Whereas, you know, a man can look at that same list of qualifications, only have five of them and go, I'm a shoe in, right? There's a perception there that that's different, generally speaking. And so I I do think that that drives some of us women to feel like we have to overcompensate to prove our worth. Is yours tied to that? Or are you just one of those people who like needs all the info? It's both. I need all the info, but it is really, uh, in a sense, it's fear-based when it steps into that realm of When I'm interacting with somebody else, I don't want them to be able to ask a question I can't answer. I want to be able to, even even beyond that, like I've been in spaces where somebody's trying to call me out or put me down or put me in my place in some way. And if I can just like hit them on the side of the head with a two by four of information, right? Like this is what I fucking know. And this is how I know it. And this is why it's important. That is really powerful to uh, maintain my own space in that situation. Um, And so that's been a go-to for me. Uh, And, you know, it just really helps me that I want to know everything about everything anyway. So it's a, it's a little bit of both. It's a marriage there, if you will. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I 
I'm going to share with you guys. I've shared this with you guys before, and uh, it's it's one of my favorite things. I wish I could take credit for the original thought, but but this is really more about how I have interpreted it and applied it. So in terms of really feeling confident in spaces that are more male-dominated, I have taken on the philosophy of WWCD, which stands for What Would Chad Do? So I was blessed to take part in a forum a few years ago, which was all about educating and inspiring future women leaders. And so it was this group of high school-aged girls who all saw themselves as future leaders. And one of the speakers was addressing the idea of feeling, you know, scared and feeling like an imposter. And she said, all you need is the confidence of a mediocre white dude. (laughs) And it was such a simple sentence, but it carried so much weight because we've all experienced that guy who just like just assumes that every thought he has is a brilliant thought, is the right thought, you know, of this is the winning idea. Why wouldn't you buy it? And so my interpretation of that is, okay, let me pick a a typical, you know, white guy name, which was Chad. And I think to myself, okay, what would Chad do, right? And that doesn't mean I walk into conference rooms and I behave like that. But, you know, Danielle was talking earlier about having that internal confidence, you know, which sends a message that I belong at this table. And so that's my version of that. Before I go into a very male-dominated space, I think to myself, what would Chad do? All right, well, Chad would walk into this meeting knowing that he's got the answers, he's got the solution, he's totally going to win them over, there are no doubts in his mind, he's ready for any question they throw his way, etc., And so having that sort of internal dialogue with myself allows me to absorb that information internally, which is going to broadcast, right, non-verbally to all the other people in the room like, oh, she really knows what she's talking about. Oh, she belongs here, right? And so carrying that sense of confidence. And, and, And that's just a tool that I've used. It's ridiculous. You know, it's not applicable to all... Uh, average white dudes. There's some wonderful white dudes out there. (laughs) But, you know, I think we've all, even other white dudes know a Chad. They know that guy who thinks that, you know, every idea he has is brilliant. They know that attitude. And so just sort of assuming that crazy, ridiculous level of confidence has really been a game changer. It allowed me to land some contracts that I don't, I don't think I would have been able to land them, quite frankly, even though I was overqualified, had I not embodied that Chad level of overconfidence when I walked in and pitched it, right? I absolutely love that. And I, and the first time you told that story, and I know this, you're telling us again, so that the listeners, you know, all of everybody that's listening in can hear it. But it also speaks to all of the things that we have to think about as women before we walk into that boardroom. So even myself, I have very large assets on the front part of me and my breasts, right? They're like beacons, beam, beam, look at me. And I'm like, holy shit, how can I make them smaller? So that way they're not focused there. They're actually looking at my face or how do I not take up so much space or how do I look presentable? So that way someone will want to listen to me. You know, I don't want to be considered what men think to be not 
attractive or not likable or whatever that definition is. So there's all of these things that go through our heads. So what I appreciated about that, and it's something that my husband tells me to do all the time, is just get that shit out of your head. Just walk in. You're, you're smart. You've got, you know, really good thoughts. Go in and just sell your idea and just kick ass. So I love that approach. Just what would Chad do? And that's a wonderful segue into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is what are some of the things that you have to consider in your particular line of work? I know that there's some unusual ones for me, but I, I want to hear because we've got a, a varying array of specialties here on this panel. And so in your industry, in your field, what are those things that you have to think about before you walk in the room that we know that most men don't even have to consider, much less think about before they walk into a room? So Jennifer, you, you've talked about yours, you know, <laughs> if you're a woman with curves, you're just going to be perceived a certain way, no matter what you wear. Right. And unfortunately, I've been in the HR departments where we've had to say, like, look, I know it's the struggle is real, but you got to find a way to cover the girls, you know, because you're causing a distraction. And that was like some of the most horrific conversations I ever had to have in HR. Like, I get it. Sometimes they just can't be contained. But it's stupid that we should even have to make that a consideration in the business world or in the workplace, but we do, right? So Jennifer, before I move on to the other ladies, are there any other things that you think like, I know the men in my life don't have to take this into consideration before they walk into a room? Yeah, one time I got feedback that when I talked or communicated, my passion was reading as aggression. So I was told to think about who I'm speaking to on a regular basis. And I think some of the advice you can take really philosophically as you should always speak to the people in the room, like communicate in the way that they hear you. But I feel like this feedback was taken to the next level of calm your tone, be a little bit nicer. It sounds like you're aggressive. Don't have other people come to your side, go to their side. Kind of, And I'm thinking, really? That's, that's what you're asking me to do? Okay. So just even thinking about the way that I speak, like, I don't know that I, I've heard a male have feedback on that, at least not the ones that I've interacted with. Look, I think now's a good time for me to disclose to y'all in case you haven't done the research. We're all of us, all of the female voices on this podcast are going to get feedback that our voices are annoying. And it's, it's just part of the podcasting industry. Every woman who has ever been on YouTube or on a podcast is going to get some feedback that her voice is annoying. They're going to accuse us of upspeak. They're going to say, we have vocal fry, like whatever it is, all things that all of the guys will do and nobody will ever say shit about it, right? So that's just something that I know because I've already been on other, you know, podcasts and things like I've already gotten that feedback about myself. I know it's coming, right? And so I've had to pre-prepare and know that that feedback is coming in this format and this forum as well. But I, I do think that we get criticized for how we sound way more than our male counterparts probably do as well. So thank you for sharing that. Kathleen, what are some of the things, you know, in, in real estate in particular, that's an interesting challenge because you're, you're on around people, you're out showing homes. Before you walk up to show that home or to have that meeting with a client, what are some things that you have to consider that your male counterparts probably don't? I mean, first off is safety issues, right? Like the image that I put out of myself into the world, the headshot that I use, all of that, like it's how manage how attractive you look, right? You don't want to look too, you know, like you're asking for it, right? Like that's a real concern. 
And you, when you're showing homes to properties to people, whatever, it's, it's a concern. What is my safety level at this interaction, right? What, what's going to happen here? What am I wearing? What shoes am I wearing? I talk to people all the time in the industry about those concerns because they're a real thing in, our, in the real estate industry. One that you might not realize, it's interesting. So when I'm interacting with a couple, like I'm very uh, number statistics, let's go over the details, you know, is this property worth it or not? How many have sold in the area, you know, just getting really down into it. And a good percentage of the time, the partner who is engaged with that level of information is the man. So there's this intense conversation that happens around that between me and the man. And if I'm not intentionally including the woman in it, aware and engaging, there is jealousy that forms, right? That becomes something that will destroy a customer relationship. And I didn't realize that. I'm definitely not doing anything on purpose. I'm not trying to create any space in that relationship at all. I can give a fuck about your guy, not my guy, right? But there's this jealousy that occurs there. And um, so that's an interesting thing to have to navigate. Yeah. Friendliness being interpreted as flirting. Yeah. I, I wonder if guys have to deal with that. And I don't know, honestly, prior to recording this, I don't know that I've ever asked a guy. So we'll have to loop back around with, with the men in our lives and find out if their friendliness has ever been interpreted as flirting. Interesting. Wow. And safety, oh my God, manage your attractiveness. Like that hit me in the heart when you said that, Kathleen. Oh my God. Right. Especially in your space. I didn't think about that. This was another interesting. Oh, can I? No, go ahead. One more thing. This is another interesting conversation I had years ago uh, with someone. So I was talking with a, a man about interacting with women and attractiveness. And, um, I, we were having this conversation where he, his addition to it was this woman needs to be a certain amount of attractive where you don't want to talk to her at all in the business world, right? Like if she's below a certain level of attractiveness, you you don't want to, you know, you don't want to interact with her at all, but above a certain level of attractiveness, you also don't want to interact with her at all. Cause so there's this band of like semi-attractive to almost hot, that's ideal for a woman to be in business. But if you're outside of that scope, men are going to avoid you. And he was kind of an asshole. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But I think that there's a piece in there that's interesting and probably carries through, right? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. We could do a whole nother episode just about that, the dynamics of male-female relationships. But that's a whole rabbit hole. Danielle, what are some of the things you are working with high-powered couples, influential, notable people? I'm really interested to hear what are some of the things that you have to take into consideration going into these like delicate and vulnerable conversations that male counterparts probably don't have to consider? You know, I think regardless of what type of field you're in, it is it can be intimidating for a powerful woman to show up in her power in the sense that for a lot of males, they may feel emasculated or they may feel like you're being too much or too passionate, or they'll feel like if you know more than them or are sharing something that they didn't think of first or didn't say first, 
that you're putting them down in some way. And so it's kind of this in the back of your mind, this constant, oh, am I being too much? Am I being too passionate? I don't want to be too passionate because I don't want to be perceived as bitchy. Or I don't want to be perceived as this woman that's just PMSing because she's passionate about something. Or this woman who just thinks she knows it all because she's so smart or whatever it is, right? And so it's that fine balance of of being grounded in the sovereignty of who you are and what you are sharing about and bringing to the table, as well as not letting the fear of how you're going to be perceived overtake you. And, you know, when I was working in corporate, I was working mainly with male physicians and executives. And so that was something that was a huge thing, especially don't overpower them. Don't look better than them. Don't say something unless they've said it. And in fact, don't say it, feed it to them so they can say it and so that they can look good. Right. And then now, right. I know. And then now, you know, like you said, and what I do now in my own business, I work with a lot of, you know, high powered individuals and power couples and things of that nature. So the dynamic as well in that situation does have to be that grounded approach of this is who I am. I am owning who I am. And also I'm not responsible for how you are going to perceive me and my truth. And that's something that I really had to learn the hard way by not speaking my truth and not saying the things that need to, needed to be said. But in my line of work as well, I work in a transformational field. So I have to go real and deep with people. I have to call out the thing that nobody else is and nobody ever has in their entire life so that a transformation can begin to take place. And not just putting a Band-Aid over it because I don't want to upset somebody, but really getting to the root of the issue. And that can be harsh sometimes. That takes me standing in my power. And that's difficult when you're working with a couple, right? Because sometimes you see the man is blatantly at fault and you have to call it out. And that can be uncomfortable. But again, it's coming back to that level of, I'm not here to make people comfortable. I'm here to change the world. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you can step to the side with all due respect. Fuck yes. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm not here to make people comfortable. I'm here to change the world. Ooh, put that <laughs> on a goddamn t-shirt and sell it right now, Danielle. Oh my God. Yes. Love that. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And I like to sum up all of your comments, like this goes for everybody, male, female, non-binary. I don't owe you anything. I don't. The women in your life do not owe you anything. And I think the more people who understand that and stop approaching women as if they owe them something, regardless of the capacity, that will eliminate probably 70% of this bullshit. That's just how I feel. Um... (laughs) So in my particular line of work, I am on video a lot doing online workshops and one-on-one coaching. I am on a lot of stages. And when you go through speaker training to be on stages, you know, you learn about knee-jerk defensive body posturing, right? That's why podiums were invented because when you stand behind a podium, it's a barrier between you and the audience and you feel safe, right? And so if you don't have a podium to stand behind, you might cross your legs, you might cross your arms, you might hold your arms out in front of you, and you don't realize that all those things that you're doing is defensive posturing. 
And so when you're someone like me who stands wide open with their arms wide open, gesturing wildly as I point to this screen and that screen and you in the audience and you, I am very open and very exposed. And so, you know, I don't even think like the event promoters who have booked me frequently know that like one of the things that I do I tell you that I want to see the room ahead of time so that I'm prepared for the tech and I prepared for the room layout, right? But one of the other things I'm looking for is where is the exit in case I have to make a quick exit, right? Which is crazy, but you know, it it could happen, right? Where is the exit? The other thing I have to do to get prepared to go on stage is I have to like, where am I in the ongoing weight journey that a woman experiences? You know, am I at my thinnest right now? Okay, I don't have to fucking worry about how I look, right? Am I not at my thinnest right now? Okay, I need to be prepared for some asshole on a feedback form to tell me I look fat, right? Which shouldn't be a consideration in the speech that I gave at all, but it's going to happen. And so I just need to get in a mental headspace where I know it's coming and therefore it's not going to hit me in a place where it hurts. And then there is a whole conversation that happens in the female speaking world, especially when you get up into like big league speaking. So I have some friends who are doing like $35,000, $55,000 speaking gigs, right? Where you're on stage at like Fortune 500 companies or broadcast live or whatever. We all know like, okay, what bra do you wear? Oh, what bra do you wear? Oh, what underwear do you wear? There's a whole conversation in the women's speaking world about which underwear won't show through as underwear lines and which bra will lock your shit tight so you don't have to worry about jiggle when you're walking around on stage. Because the last thing I want you to pay attention to, like Jennifer said earlier, is any jiggle, right? I swear to God, I think Spanx was invented specifically for women who are on stage. So that's one less thing that we have to worry about is nothing's going to jiggle while I'm up here. And if you've ever wondered why a female speaker like runs away and then comes back afterwards, it's because I got to take off the 14 fucking layers of architecture and infrastructure that held all my shit together while I was on stage, you know? And if I want to breathe and have a casual conversation, you got to give me a minute give me a minute to take all this shit off so I can be a real functioning human again. I I asked this question in all sincerity, like, do men speakers have to worry about dick wiggle or positioning (laughs) before they go on stage? Do they have to worry about underwear butt lines? You know, I, I, I don't know that they give a shit. And I don't know that anybody's looking at them that way. But I certainly have to think about it. And I know lots of other women on stage who do as well. So Dick Wiggle. Dick Wiggle. (laughs) Hashtag Dick Wiggle. Right. It's in my brain now. I'm (laughs) saying this to Robin. I I, I just have to ask, why were you worried about the exit? Like what about that for you as a female? Like what was the exit a symbol of or why were you worried about the exit? (laughs) So um, this is going to make me sound like a pompous asshole, but if I've done my job right, a bunch of people will come rushing to the front of the room to want to talk to me after the speech, right? And if it's a crowd I'm not familiar with, I don't know who's going to be in that crowd of people who come rushing to the stage to want to talk to me, right? And, And people don't think about it. They just, they saw you, they're excited, they resonated with your message. Sometimes I'll get grabbed. People are so excited, like, 
They want you to know that they're there waiting to talk to you. And so I might be focused talking on you here and someone off to the side like grabs, right? And and so I just need to make sure that I know where to position myself when I come off stage so that if a crowd does come rushing and somebody is grabbing in a way that's not excited or excited in the wrong way, I, I know how to move to the exit in an orderly fashion. That doesn't like scare the crap out of everybody else, right? Because <laughs> we're all ultimately here to have a fun time. And I fucking love that crowd. I do. But, you know, it could get scary from fun in like a split second. So you just have to, as long as I know where everything is, then I don't have to worry about it. Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> and again, it's an element that people don't think about, right? If you're at a future speaking engagement of mine, please do come see me. I really want you to come see me. <laughs> if this is not a please don't come see me moment. It's just to let people know that like, you don't think about it from the crowd perspective. I've done it. I've seen really great speakers or musicians and I want to go run up to them afterwards. And we don't think about what that looks like and feels like on the other side. Okay. So one of the other things that I wanted to make sure we talked about before we wrap up today is what advice would you give to women who are still carving their path? You know, I feel like the four of us in particular have found our way over, through, and above the adversity. We've managed to navigate around the typical patriarchal bullshit to become successful women in business, right? We may be still getting through the last mile of it, but we've found our methods for getting through it. What is a piece of advice that you would share with women who are just at the start of that journey? They're still finding their way over, around, above, and through. What would you say that maybe you wish somebody said to you at the beginning of your journey? I'll start with Jennifer. My comment is not for the people starting in their journey, but for the people that are there. So the people like myself, which is be intentional about reaching out to other women that you easily can recognize that are starting their journey and guide them, like rise them up. I absolutely love as an executive when other younger women reach out and they're like, oh my goodness, I loved that presentation you gave or I appreciate, et cetera. Pick those people apart and go in at them and give them love, show them support, show them that they can do it as well. Because I think that's what's missing is other women literally holding their hand out and grabbing those other women by the hand and saying, come with me, You're, I'm taking you on this journey. Oh my gosh, I could like hug and kiss you right now because that's a huge passion project of mine is female mentorship and, and the mentoring of females, right? It could be by men, it could be by other women, but I don't think that we know how to mentor women effectively. We don't give women the opportunity to complete their quest in the same way that men are given the mentorship and support along their quest. And so, yes, a thousand percent, Jennifer, like find those women around you, find the others around you who are probably not getting the mentorship that they deserve and think about, you know, I may only be two steps ahead of you, but here's what I've learned on those two steps. So yours will be a lot easier, a hundred percent. Danielle, what advice would you give? I completely second what Jen just said. That's phenomenal. I 100% agree. Another thing that I would say is, sister, wherever you are on your journey, take time to really go into self-discovery mode. 
and see all of the ways that make you absolutely freaking amazing and go and take a seat at the table. Even if it scares the daylights out of you, like take one action, even if it's just one action today or one action this week or one action this month or one action this year that allows you to see the reflection of your own work. I love that so much. Me too. One of my goosebumps all over. <laughs> I know. We're like throwing goats and high fives and thumbs up while Danielle's talking. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes is by Tina Fey, who is a badass. And she says, just say yes and figure the rest out later. And I think that speaks to your point, Danielle, about like, even if you're terrified, do it anyways. One thing I tell people all the time is when you have equal parts exhilaration and terror, that's when you know you're on the right track, right? So just say yes and figure out how to do it, right? Do it with the fear instead of running away from it. Love that. Kathleen, bring it home for us. What advice would you share? Set a goal, like pick where it is you want to be, what it is you want to be doing. And, and don't let anybody tell you whether it's good enough, whether it's right, whether it fits you. If you believe that you live in a world where sexism controls what you have access to, then that's the world you're going to live in. And you don't have to. You can just decide, this is what I want, and I'm going to get there. And you get there. And you show people how to treat you by how you treat them and how you treat yourself. Yes. Insert gif of Alana Glazer. Yes, queen. <laughs> Love it. Just get there, right? Don't accept it. So that leads me to my final thought for this conversation, which is those of you in the business world who are in any box that is considered other, you do not have to accept those circumstances. Don't just accept. And if you find a tribe of people, don't find a tribe of people who are just going to complain with you about the circumstances. Find a tribe of people who are going to help you to rise, that you can help to rise. All the time, Jinx says, a rising tide lifts all boats. So if you are in the other box and you need support, go find that tribe that's going to be your rising tide. Because if we help each other, if we mentor each other, if we acknowledge and we talk about all the bullshit that we're facing and try to help each other figure out how to face it faster, and get through it and find the other side of it, that's going to help everyone in business, not just us. So thank you ladies so much for everything that you shared. I think it's so important. And I'm so glad you were willing to have this conversation with me today. And listen, your homework, the call to action for this episode is to let us know what solutions you found. How did you get through your adversity or how are you getting through your adversity in the business world? What systems have you developed? Do you have your own version of WWCD? What would Chad do, right? Let us know what that is. You can tag us on social media at unfuckmybiz or you can email us at WTF at unfuckmybiz.com. And on that note, I will say thank you all for being here. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, Kathleen. We will see you next Tuesday. What the fuck are you waiting for? Take what you learned in this episode and do something with it. You'll find all the links and resources we talked about in our show notes for this episode. Go to unfuckmybusiness.com to subscribe to the show.